1: This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more.
0: Hi, Rare friends. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so grateful you took the time to show up and hang out for a little while today. I want to thank you all so, 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 so much for all of your love and support for me and the show. Thanks to your amazingness and for endorsing me for the WeGo Health Awards and for all of your love along the way. I'm so excited to announce that Once Upon a Gene won Best in Show podcast for the WeGo Health Awards this year. That's a big deal. It's such an honor and I'm truly humbled and I'm totally touched. So give yourself a high five for me. High fives all around. I'm also so excited for you to hear today's conversation with my lovely guest. I'm sure many of you know her already, but if you haven't, you're in for a treat. You're no doubt going to feel her strength in her message right away. Her energy right now, it's, it's palpable, and I'm very happy to help spread her message far and wide. Today, she shares about a time in her life when things were at its toughest. She felt her inner strength slipping away. And in an attempt to control something, when everything felt like it was slipping out of control, in an act of desperation, she did something. She took action. She's doing one of my favorite things a person can do, putting everything she has out there and making change, not just for herself, but for our entire community. I'll let her tell you about it. Buckle in and please enjoy my conversation with Marnie Cartelli. Hi, Marnie. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, I guess this is more of a welcome back because you were a guest on the storytelling episode titled Skin in the Game. And if you haven't heard that episode, everybody go check it out. It's episode 95. And it's awesome. Marnie tells an incredible story that you have to hear. Thank you. At least now I get to be more uplifting than
1: I was in that storytelling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, cool. Let's get into it, Marnie, because we're going to talk about something, something serious today. And why don't you just give us a little baseline? Tell us about your entrance into this world of rare disease and chronic illness and give us a little background about who you are. Yeah, of course. First and foremost, I'm a cat mom.
1: So if you see hundreds (laughs) of pictures of cats, that's probably me. But I entered the rare disease uh, community back in 2015 when I had an accident. I was an OR scrub and I had an accident on the job where my shoulder dislocated. And the pain was just unlike anything that it should have been because the shoulder, once we got it back in place, you know, the pain should dissipate. And it just kept growing and growing. And I would go back to my doctor, who actually was a surgeon in the OR I worked at. So sometimes he would even just pop his head into the room I was in and he would just see my face and be like, there's something wrong here. And so we spent the next year trying to understand why, one, the pain just kept increasing, and two, my shoulder kept dislocating. And so the shoulder dislocating was easily fixed in the operating room because I had actually stretched out my joint capsule from repeated dislocations. But the pain just kept getting worse and worse, even after we fixed everything, until one day my whole arm just went blue and ice cold. And my doctor, who happened to be in the OR that day, was like, I know exactly what that is. He's like, I've only seen it once in my career. And he transferred me to another doctor's care because it's the rare condition reflex sympathetic dystrophy or complex regional pain syndrome is its current name. And it's a neuroinflammatory condition where basically after I got hurt, my body went haywire, and the signals never got turned off that i'm healed so the body just kept sending these these pain signals which explain the pain and then what happens is it goes on loop into your brain over time if it's not interrupted and those signals can go out to anywhere that you have nerves that innervate so it actually affects my cardiovascular system it affects my endocrine system you know my respiratory system it's actually a really interesting disease that I say it stinks to have, but is really interesting to study.
0: Yeah, I think complex is the key word there. I've heard stories from so many in your specific group of the CRPS, Complex Regional Pain Syndrome members like Whitney and Barbie, of having an accident and it triggering all of these pain events, if you will, that cause so many problems. And it's heartbreaking to watch. It's heartbreaking to see the good days that you're having and then how many bad days come after that.
1: Yeah, it's really remarkable. You know, in rare, it's actually something we don't talk about. If you have a rare pain condition, we talk about pain. But there are so many conditions that actually have pain associated with them that we really don't discuss all that often. So I advise anybody out there who's, who's struggling with pain management, um, whether it's in rare disease or, or just, you know, has questions in general, Barbie Engel is like a wonderful resource to go to yes she's literally
0: a cheerleader so we'll we'll connect we'll connect all of barbie's information and she's been on the show before if you want to go back to that and hear what marnie's talking about huge advocate for sure so marnie i know even just by talking to them and then you know being a part of this community on the social network i see what this does to your mental state i see how it's taken a toll on so many of My dear people, you included, and I kind of want to dig into that a little bit and talk about that hard stuff if you're okay with that and what that experience was for you when it was the most exhausting or hopeless or when you felt the most defeated.
1: There are two times I can point to in my life that I really got to the dark, dark place. That was pretty close to the beginning after I had gotten a diagnosis, but I had lost my job over it because I couldn't do the job. And I was being held up in red tape from getting the treatments I needed. In Rare, I'm sure you know, of course, that anything that's off-label means insurance doesn't have to cover it. So fighting to get treatments in the beginning. And it took eight or nine months for me to be able to get my treatments after appeal after appeal. And during that course of time, my body just took a nosedive. And I remember just thinking that this is no way to exist. I couldn't get off the couch. I was depressed. I remember the mailman knocked on the door during the winter and he said, you need to clear off your steps. My husband was at work and I said, I'm so, so sorry. You know, if you ever don't feel comfortable, please do not deliver mail that day. It's not that important for me to get you know, one day's worth of mail. I don't want you to hurt yourself. And he said, Okay, I just wanted to let you know, I had even bought electric mats to try to help melt the snow, because I knew I couldn't shovel it. Right before he left, he stopped and he turned to me and said, I give other houses a break because they work your home, you can do the steps. And he just walked away. And I lost it. I was hysterically crying. And I called my husband, who was livid. He did the opposite, you know, was like, I hope you told him off. I hope you, Got in his face and I was like, does it sound like I told him off as like, I'm ugly sobbing. And it was the realization at that time that I would never be viewed by society again as productive. And that weighed on me for an incredibly long time. I would say it even weighed on me up until earlier last year. When I finally learned to shed the care for how other people perceive me, I'd spiraled really fast and really bad at that point in time. And I even got to the point of being suicidal. Thankfully, I got help. I reached out and I got help and and I came out of it. And then I dove headfirst into advocacy, which is a wonderful way to connect yourself in the rare disease community or chronic illness or whatever it is that has altered your life. Because you really find that sense of family. But I made the mistake of jumping so far into advocacy, I never addressed any of the stuff that I had been dealing with and the changes in my body or what was going on mentally because I just focused on the world at large and other people in the community and what can I do to help them. And then 2020 hit and the pandemic and I don't have to rehash. Everybody knows everybody went through hard times. But what happened with me was all my activities shut down. And the only thing I was left with was myself. And I hit that dark point again, because my infusions were deemed non-essential, so they got shut down. So I was left in pain with tremors, you know, sweating, swelling, a whole plethora of disease-related symptoms. I couldn't dress myself. I was having a hard time feeding myself. And I realized I never addressed those emotions that come with having a rare disease I, I chose to bury him deep down behind other noise other things to do and i began spiraling again and i got very close to that dark place but i was very fortunate that fate interceded and a couple guys who read an article that was written about me reached out totally unlikely 20 something year old division one football players that just read this story and said, I need to make sure this person is okay, and I want to learn more. And honestly, it changed the course of my journey completely, because there were people who had no clue about me, who didn't have a connection to a real connection to the rare disease community. And they just wanted to know how to help us and and to be there for me. And it really really stopped me in my tracks it really made me rethink how i'm perceived how i perceive myself and started me on a journey of self-reflection that i never took the time in the six years i've been diagnosed to actually do
0: oh oh my gosh marty was, i'm just waiting for what comes next <laughs> i'm just like <laughs>
1: well you you well, you know the end so uh it's it's cheating you can't you can't just do that but Yes, there, there have been some pretty profound and pretty amazing things that happened. So those young men were from Northwestern football. And I thought after we had this conversation, after they reached out, you know, they're 20-something-year-old kids that are at the height of their life. I remember when I was in college, and I definitely was not thinking about some almost 40-year-old woman somewhere So I figured, hey, this will be a cool story that I could just one day tell friends and stuff that these football players reached out to me. It has turned into one of the most important friendships in my life because these guys stayed in contact with me. They're having one of their best football seasons last year. They're winning games and they're still in the middle of the week saying, hey, can we jump on a call? We want to find out what's going on. And as I watch these football games, so I I was never a college football fan. I'm admitting that now. I, I NFL all the way. I went to a school that was not known for their college football program, so it didn't really matter. But I started watching the guys in the games. And every game, the Northwestern guys come out to a sign that they, that they touch, and it's trust yourself. And those words just started resonating more and more inside of me, is, is trust yourself, trust your gut, trust who you are. And then one of the guys, Joe Spivak, said something to me. I was I was actually in a real bad spell, and I had was talking to him. And I don't remember what I said about the disease or something. And he said, hey, I'm going to tell you something that my dad told me. And that's, that's nothing defines you, but you. Effie, I swear it was one of those moments that I stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, whoa. And from that moment on, everything changed. I was like, you're right. This disease does not define me. I am still Marnie. I'm funny. Uh, I'm loud. I'm so many other things. I'm caring. I am not this disease, but I had kind of lost some, you know, you so you focus so much on the disease and and how much of, of your life it takes up that sometimes we forget that there are connections to our old world too, that we can still do. We just assume everything is lost. And I had to sit back and I had to really evaluate, okay, I'm limited. There are things I will never be able to do, but what can I do? Or what is possible with modification? And more importantly, what was fear holding me back from even trying just because I assumed I couldn't do it, or I was so afraid to try it because I don't know. That's the truth. I can't tell you why the fear was there, but my whole six years was Fear was pervasive. It was, I was first afraid of what was happening in my body. Then I was afraid of the diagnosis. Then I was afraid of the prognosis. Then I became afraid of how society viewed me. Then when I got into advocacy, I was afraid that I wouldn't fit in. So it was almost like my life had become this cycle of fear and I vowed that I would break it. And so I started to work towards breaking it. And the very first thing I did was I, I got new doctors. If my doctors didn't believe in me that they, we were at this point that there was nothing left to try, well, time for a new set of eyes. And that was so scary. I'm sure you can, you and anybody out there can relate to that fear of going to a new doctor and, and finding out what they're going to tell you. Are they going to think I'm faking? Are they going to think I'm lying? Or And it was the best decision I ever made because my doctor looked at me and said, well, I haven't Ever heard of some of these symptoms? I believe you. And that was
0: incredibly powerful. I'm just like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Mari, your story is incredible because you come from this place where you have some medical knowledge. You're kind of in the medical world. You were lucky enough to be around a doctor who was like, actually, you should get that checked out rather than have been ignored or whatever would have happened to then being kind of knocked down by someone who's frustrated in their own life and their own job and really sent you into a tailspin to these beautiful young men who (laughs) message you. But you also have this baseline of, you know, you jumped into advocacy as another turn to hope and perhaps coping mechanism for you at the time into this point of self-reflection. And it's beautiful. I love that you got that aha moment just when you were in the perfect place to receive it. And you listened. That takes a lot of guts. And I think, All of those things that happened in a row kind of built you up to that, right? And to just be at that precipice where you're like, I have to choose.
1: Yes, exactly. One of the things you said is the absolute truth. I was in a place where I could receive the message. I think we all know at certain points in time and whether you're disabled or a rare disease patient or just, you know, going through your average life where maybe there's criticism or comments or something that are meant to be helpful and hopeful but we're not ready to hear it and we're not ready to take action on it. And especially in the rare disease space, I always tell people, acknowledge you're not ready. But Effie, the great part is that's part of the self-reflection, is there's no reason we all can't self-reflect, but accept what you find. There's nothing wrong with going, you know, I'm not ready for that right now, or I I knew I wasn't going out because i was afraid the fear i was afraid the pain would get bad my husband would want us to make plans he would want us to do things and i would tell him no and i realized at that point in time i wasn't ready to move past that i am now i was a year ago when i realized that i was done living my life in fear but i don't know if if i had gotten these messages three years ago, if, if I would have received them because I wasn't ready
0: and that's okay too. Absolutely. I think in a state of self-preservation is just as valuable as a piece, as long as you use it as a tool eventually, right? As long as you're still digging, at least sometimes whenever you can to find a way, right? Exactly. Exactly. We all say it's okay to not be okay, but
1: how many of us actually believe that, you know, we say it, it's a great catchphrase but how many of us carry that guilt around that we're not doing enough or we're not okay or we look on Instagram and look at other people's lives and and it's it's a case of the joneses right we want we want that maybe not their stuff but that happiness they're exuding the last year has kind of taught me yeah it truly is okay to not be okay but but recognize you're not okay and accept it you know what if you can try to move past it into a way that you are good but if you're not that's okay too. Like I said, accept it. Be who you are. I guess that's really really kind of my message because even in advocacy, I felt honestly I had imposter syndrome. I thought I didn't belong in advocacy because I was trying to follow a path of other people of pe- better advocates, different, you know, advocates and I was miserable. I was doing good, which of course is a great feeling, but at the same time is I wasn't true to myself. I wasn't true to who I am as a person, or how my life was, right? And so once I started down this path, after meeting these guys from Northwestern, I started changing my advocacy style too. As my friend Anna says, I became unapologetically Marnie. And it it was literally, I just would put myself out there. I would talk about how, guess what? Football is important to me. Football is something that pulls me and my family together and gets my head out of this horrific space and allows me to talk about something that aren't medical bills, that aren't you know diagnosis or prognosis or treatments. And I love that. And I'm not afraid to say that. And I found that there are so many people out there that feel the same exact way. They use sports as an escape. And it really started connecting more and more of the community to me because I just started being Marnie.
0: Mm, I love that unapologetically Marnie. And yeah, it's okay that you're not okay. And permission to feel conversations that are definitely being brought to the table and more accepted. And I believe that it's a healthy boundary to feel that way and to kind of understand your emotions like that. But sure, in the beginning, there's guilt to get around that because it's not the way we were taught. It's not the conversations that people are having on the reg. And it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of guts to go there.
1: I think what you said is so vital is it's important to, to accept and acknowledge our feelings, but don't live there. I think you've said this before, is that acknowledge, feel, work through emotions. But when we live in that emotion, that's where that darkness starts to overtake us.
0: Yeah, And I love that you had this imposter syndrome, which that's so normal for everyone in every little piece of their world, whether it's job or life or family or whatever, but that you found your niche, you found your Marnie, you found your voice, and it came about from these boys. And I just want to know what they said to you and what's happening now because of that message that they sent to you. They are amazing people. And
1: between them, and we've talked about before that my connection to uplifting athletes, they really just told me we believe in you. And and I told them, you know, I watched my body deteriorate. And especially during the time when treatments were held up, it got incredibly bad. And I started to feel weak. I have a trainer now and he hates the word weak, but literally that was how I felt. I felt weak as a person, weak in my body. And I said, I don't want this anymore. There has to be a way for me to get stronger. But I knew I did not have the resources, right? At that point in time, I I wasn't gonna go to a gym where they give 20 credits for strength training who has no understanding of the human anatomy or physiologic changes and disease process. I knew if I was going to undertake trying to strengthen my body, I needed the right people. And so I got connected to my current coach slash trainer, Hunter Stark, who's in Florida. So we train virtually and he had never worked virtually or with me or anything like that before. And we had a great conversation in the beginning about strength and, and what I wanted to do. And I told him that I just wanted to see how strong I can get and he's like, well, what do you like to do? And I said, I used to work out and I used to like, and I list rattled off all these things. And he's like, you know, you can't lift your arm right now, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 I know that. But I still want to do all these things. And he's like, okay, keep that mindset. And so I started working with him. And the first four or five months was really just physical therapy. It was, it was trying to get range of motion, function control, things like that. And while this was going on, I told the Northwestern guys about it. And I have never seen people get so excited about physical therapy in my life. They were cheering me on. They were so excited. They, they were proud that I was taking this step. And it kind of urged me on. And then the more I watched the games, the more I saw this mentality that this team had of never giving up on a play, never giving up on each other, on fighting for every inch, every yard, every down. And that really, really resonated with me and just kept inspiring me. Okay, I raised my arm by another centimeter. That's awesome. And as Hunter Stark says to me, is that small incremental changes will lead to a big result. And here I am a year later where I have much better range of motion. And I am starting on a bench press competition against Northwestern. Because I'm crazy enough and said, I want to do something big. And I decided that what I'm going to do is go head to head against Northwestern. Their record, because they've already done it and it's football season, so they can't actually live bench press me. (laughs) And I'm going to go try to take down their record and lift over 7,000 pounds in 10 minutes.
0: Yes. (laughs) And Marnie, your body is banging right now. It's amazing. (laughs) I am just obsessed with the power of you Telling your story in this way that you didn't even really think that was going to get out to anyone or do anything. And these football players pick it up and they've been your biggest supporters and they've opened up your world even further. And that this is the path you're on now. I just think that the way you've figured out how to view this entire situation is that of an athlete, right? Like it's constant and it's like you're the first one there and the last one to leave mentality. It's amazing. Yeah, and and it's it's a great way to look at the rare disease community and the
1: athletic community. It's a seamless partnership because if you really think about what we go through in the rare disease community, the sacrifice, the struggle, to become an elite athlete, while it's for different reasons, it's the same type of mindset. And I think there should there is a lot of respect between the athletic community and the rare disease community. They don't look at us and pity us. Okay, they look at us and see champions. They see what they go through. They see exactly who we are. And I think the most powerful part of this is that we are actually seen and we're being seen. And I don't want people to mistake what I'm saying about my exercise journey as this is something for everyone. You'll magically get your body back and, and life will be all sunshine and roses because it's not. And this process has been incredibly hard and it's really, really tough, but what it taught me is really that mindset is that I am not going to let fear stop me. There are other things that might stop me. Like my biggest nemesis in the world is a jar. I cannot open the top of a jar because I have no fine motor control. I can lift 70 pounds. I can press 70 pounds right now, but put a jar of peanut butter in front of me and you'll watch me throw it across (laughs) the room. But it's just that comparison of there are true limitations that, that we cannot get around. But what are the things that we can modify? I had to modify and I still do. The way I bench press is not how most people bench press. I need a special bar because anatomically my shoulder isn't right anymore and I need to rotate a different way. The way this, the CRPS affects my hands, the narrow bars really dig into my, my palms and will set off a flare instantly. So I found fatter grips you know, for the bars. There are exercises we've started to do that, I can't do. And I turn to Hunter and go, this set me off. I think it's the exercise. And so we we try to find something else. But that can permeate any any part of your life. As a part of this, I also started painting, which I'm sure your your kids could do better than I do, because I get the tremors and the paint goes all over the canvas. But But I was afraid of failing at painting. So I never tried. I never realized, just find the joy in the fact that you're doing it. So this mental attitude of what the press for hope really is, it's that we as a community, we individually need to press on in our lives. And we need to figure out a way to find that happiness.
0: I'm pumped, Marnie. And that was kind of a pun, too. No, I love that. And I love making the distinction that this isn't for everyone, this is what path you're on and that you've also went to painting and you've, you know, you've done all of these things and you're exploring now rather than being alone in the dark and scared. Right. You've opened it up to opportunities that you can figure out how to get in.
1: Exactly. And and there are things that I can't do that I just won't be able to do. And and I acknowledge that, but I'd rather find it out safely by trying and realize, OK, I can't do it. Then let this fear that has just been there for so, so
0: long, be the reason I'm not doing it. That's just courage. That's pure courage. And that's amazing, really. Okay, well, let's talk about the Press for Hope challenge, because it's coming up. Tell everyone exactly what you're doing and what Northwestern's doing, where it's at. Can people get involved? Give me all the details. Okay,
1: absolutely. So here's the shameless plug. So the uh, Press for Hope will be taking place on October 29th. I'm Would love if everybody could just give a shout out to TC Boost Performance in Chicago because they are the only reason this is taking place. They are allowing us to use their facility to do the press. And I am forever grateful to them because this was almost lost uh, because we couldn't find a place to hold it. So it'll be taking place at their facility on October 29th. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift my max amount of weight as many times as possible in 10 minutes. The goal is to break Northwestern's average record, which is 6,525 pounds. But I want to go even further. I want to press over 7,000 pounds in honor of the more than 7,000 rare diseases that we have identified in the community. And really, what's the most exciting part about this is I'm hoping to be able to live stream it and get everybody from the community involved and be there with me because unless you're in Chicago, you're not going to be able to show up and attend it. So I'm going to stream it. I'm going to have it either as a Zoom room or something where everybody can interact, because I think that's really the important part about this is the engagement. And it is a fundraising event. All proceeds are going to be going to the rare disease community through Uplifting Athletes, because they've given me so much that I'd like to give back to them. And they're truly an organization who have the goal of uniting the community through sport, which is basically is everything about me now. So that's what's going on with that. And then on October 30th, I will be joining the Northwestern guys at their game against Minnesota, cheering them on with a uh, a group of people, which it's actually a really meaningful game because October 30th is my 40th birthday. Can't believe that's coming up. But more importantly, I have not stepped foot inside of a football stadium for a football game since my diagnosis and that was a huge part of my life. It was one of those things that we did all the time that my husband and I loved doing. Since then I've always been too sick or too afraid what if the weather's bad and I and I get bad while I'm at the stadium to bring myself to return to football. So October 30th is the day I get to return to a football field. And I will probably be the only person in the stands hysterically crying while the game is going on.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, you you got my cheeks hurting. I'm smiling. I'm smiling. I'm so happy for you. And I love the 7,000 pounds connection. And I am so excited for you. And I'm so inspired by you. And I don't use that word lightly. And I think what you're doing is just incredible. I mean, coming from an electric doormat to this challenge against some of the strongest people in the country, it's just, it's beautiful, Marnie. And I love the way you've defined strength and fear for yourself and how it's changed you along the way. It's so powerful and I'm really grateful for you. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm grateful
1: for your support. And I want to encourage anyone out there. If the fundraising part of this is is so minimal, if if I raise a dollar, I'm excited. If I raise 50 bucks, even better. But I really want to challenge everyone out there to be a part of the Press for Hope by examining yourself, really looking at something maybe you've wanted to try that you've been afraid to. Like I said, it doesn't have to be a physical thing, but really taking that time to self-reflect. And just by doing that, you're a part of this. You're a part of the Press for Hope, which I hope will be around for many years to come as people find that thing that they
0: didn't realize they could do and get excited and share it. I love that, leaving it with them. And yeah, just like working out and moving your body, every time you do it, every single time you do it, the next time you do it, you notice something different. Even if it's the smallest thing, you notice it and that's important.
1: Absolutely. Cheer
0: the small successes because
1: eventually they're not small. Celebrate everything. And you know what? If you are showing up for yourself every day and by showing up for yourself, I mean realizing what capacity you can have that day. If every single day you are, are living up to the best capacity, the best you you can be, even if that's, I can't get out of bed today. I can't make meals today or for me, I can't do a workout today, then you're living your best life. And then those, what once felt like defeats, like the day you couldn't get out of bed or the, the, I remember the first time I couldn't do a workout because it was just so bad. I felt like a disappointment. I thought I was useless. You know, all those horrible words, those negative words come flying back into your head. But you realize as I've done this and I've shown up for myself every single day in whatever capacity, I... Don't feel guilty. I don't feel shame. I don't feel anything other than pride that I'm recognizing today is not the day for me to do anything other than lay here in bed or, you know, something minor. So I think that's important. I think the self-reflection of what is the best you for any given day at any given
0: time is a really important component of this Press for Hope. I'm going to go work out today. (laughs) I feel like I just listened to a keynote speaker and I can't wait to read your book someday, Marnie.
1: Uh, I have to get over my writer's block (laughs) for that to happen, but Um. I'm a talker, so this is fine.
0: (laughs) All right, cool. Well, we'll have all the links to the Press for Hope stuff in the show notes and you can follow Marnie on Twitter. She's very active on Twitter. She's on Instagram as well and I'll connect all those. And yeah, I encourage you to join Marnie's team because listen to how much fun she is. And I'm excited to share this episode, Marnie. Thanks for just brightening my day and lifting me up. And I'm, I'm just, I think you're amazing.
1: Oh, well, thank you. It's it. The feeling is definitely mutual. And I absolutely appreciate this and your audience for listening. And I just want to say
0: finally, go cats. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.
1: (laughs) (laughs)